This is Atenea Americana. Atenea Americana. Atenea Americana. A window to the Latin universe. Stanford. 90.1 FM. Ryan. Atenea Americana. This is Atenea Americana. Bilingual house of culture. On the air and online. Ryan. Atenea Americana. Su casa de la cultura en la radio y online. Para la radio 90.1 KCSU Stanford. I am Isabel Juves. Isabel Juves. Bienvenidos. Atenea Americana. Welcome. Bienvenidos. From Stanford to the world. Today, we are talking with Ramon and Becky Sandoval from Vino with Amigos events and Vino Latino. They have a company that helps promote a variety of wines from Napa and Sonoma Valley, making emphasis in the contributions that Latinos rendered on the production of these wines while spreading their knowledge of wine and oniophilia. Wine has been an important part in human history. Long time ago, people used to ferment plants to drink mostly because the water was not safe enough to drink. But with that first intent, a whole culture of wines and food was created, intertwingling traditions and history. Many poets had written about wine and the world around it. Argentinian writer José Luis Borges, on his sonnet to wine, said, In what kingdom, in what century, under that silent conjunction of stars, on what secret day that stone has not preserved, emerged the valiant and singular idea of inventing mirth and play? With autumn of gold, it was created. Wine flows red along with the generations and on the ordeous road, like the river of time, pours on us in music. It fires and it's lion. On the night of joy, on the hostile day, it exalts the glee or soothes the horror. And this new dicey ramp that I sing today was sung by the Arabs and Persians before. Wine, show me the art of seeing my own history as if it were already a handful of ashes in memory. Wine with Amigos or Vino with Amigos brings together people to talk and learn about wine and is mostly targeted to introduce a variety of Latinos and people of Mexican descent to get involved with wine culture. Stay with us to listen a little bit more about Vino Latino and to know more about Ramon and Becky Sandoval. Remember that this and all our shows are at stanfordhispanicbroadcasting.org and that you can listen this and all our shows in most of the podcast platforms available for you. Follow us in all our social networking sites. 
in Atenea Americana and today we have two guests they come from Napa Valley and they are experts in wine they also work a lot with Hispanics and Latinos in winemaking and they have a wonderful project dedicated to their love to wine and open their knowledge about wine to everybody and also the knowledge about Latinos in wine and I want to welcome Vino Latino thank you for coming hello hello thank you for having us uh, Ramon Sandoval and my lovely partner wife boss <laughs> and I'm Becky hi Becky <laughs> thank you for coming all, all the way to here to Stanford to talk with us can you tell me a little bit about your project go ahead honey would you like to well uh, Vino Latino is um, a really it's a wine online wine store technically but we do so much more than that our, our passion is to highlight and promote latino vintners and to tell their story and to also make wine more approachable to the latino consume, wine consumer mm-hmm. and you also have a particular mission about the latinos why why did you choose that well, because Ramon's Mexican. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's uh, it's a uh, it's something that you know the Latinos. As, for like myself, growing up, it wasn't on the table for me. I'm first generation Mexicano, uh, mm-hmm. and I wasn't raised with wine on the table. And just uh, uh, meeting back in Napa and 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 just mm-hmm. getting introduced to wine was just fascinating and just interesting. The whole dynamics behind mm-hmm. the story in the bottle which i like to call too and many other people do too with what mm-hmm. you know wine brings and how you know it's it, it comes to flourishing and in, in, in a beautiful way it's art yes and you, you were telling me a little bit about the history of all the cultures that have been involved in uh, wine in napa valley and i uh, thought i, I heard before that uh, there were some winemakers that were before this was United States and some of them were Spaniards, but you, you were telling me that most of them left and they weren't really um, original, original Mexicans, but right. more like Californians that mm-hmm. came from Europe. Uh, but a lot of this population has been changing and changing. Uh, can you tell me a little bit more about the history? Maybe not just around California, but more in Napa, which is the Northern California. Sure. So um, in Napa, actually, the the first vineyards in Napa were planted by George Yant. And George Yant was gifted Yantville from General Vallejo. So um, and, and in those days, the missions and and people like General Vallejo had had vineyard. And, and if you if you ever see a picture of General Vallejo, he was definitely more of a Spaniard. And then um, and then once George C. Yant, he planted some vineyards. And I don't know when that was, but I would say like in the late 1800s, Napa was booming when it came to wine. Anybody who wanted to plant wine knew to come to Napa. And I have yet. I have yet to really see the progression of, of, of how someone, for example, how did. Um, oh, what's his name? The guy who founded Inglenick was. Gustav, Gustav Niebaum. How did he know? He knew he wanted to retire from being a merchant marine. How did he know that he wa- needed to go to Napa to, if he wanted to make great European-style grapes? I haven't. I don't yet know the history from when George Yant planted the vines to when Gustav Niebaum knew. Oh, I'm going to plant some, you know, some vineyard in California. It has to be in Napa. But definitely by the late 1800s, Napa was very well known for making European-class wines. 
So it had also a mixture of, you, you say first the Germans came, uh, but uh, actually, ha have they been doing the, the ring style No, I believe wines? they, I, so if you look, just think, it wasn't even just Germans, maybe you can just say between Central and Eastern Europeans, you had Corbel, you had Krug, um, you had Buena Vista, the guy, the count from, I forgot where he was, Hungary or something. Mm. Uh, they didn't come here to plant um, wines from their region. I believe they probably really loved French wines and saw that Napa Valley and Sonoma mm -hmm. were similar. This is just, you know, my, my opinion, mm -hmm. um, was very similar to to France and the Mediterranean, and they knew that they could make those style of wines. Because you can't really grow Bordeaux-style wines in Germany, Hungary, or Czechoslovakia, wherever Corbel was from. Yeah. So that... That was what kind of got them started. And in the beginning, they only wanted Italian workers in the vineyards, actually. And, and they didn't um, allow Mexicans or any other Hispanics to work. Then I, I believe after Prohibition, when this all, the, the, after Prohibition, people started resurrecting some of those old, old wineries, really like maybe, maybe 10 or 11, not a lot. But that was when Latinos first really started coming and working in the vineyards in, in Napa. Well, it was with the Bracero program, mm -hmm. which during World War II, they were brought, you know, from Mexico and, uh, you know, other countries also. I mean, to, right. Well, to, they, they, they started, I, I think Prohibition started a little bit before the Bracero program, and then World War II hit. And then all of a sudden, the United States realized that all of our field workers were now fighting a war. So they had the, you know, the Bracero program to bring... Um, field workers into the United States to, to ma mainly work agriculture. And, and that Bracero program is actually the beginning of a lot of the vintners that we work with. Mm. That, that, that's where they can trace their roots. There is a lot of tradition. When you read a little bit about the history of California, there is a lot about missions and the first Europeans to mm -hmm. come kind of colonize the place. And then you know also that there are a lot of great Jerez and great sweet wines in Europe that come from missions, but I never heard of any mission that produced any good wine in California. They didn't think about it. They did make wine, but by the time They just made, they called it Mission Wine. And actually, if you go up to Amador County, they still have what they call the Mission Grape. And nobody, it's kind of like the Mission Olive. You ever heard of a Mission Olive? Oh, okay. If you're in California, you can go to any grocery store and get Mission Olives. It's this olive that we're here from the missions. And they, maybe, maybe the DNA, maybe we could really figure out what, what kind of olive it is from Spain. But that would kind of take the fun out of it. So maybe nobody's <laughs> bothered. But, so you do have Mission Olives. And Mission Grape still exists up in Amador County. The real big boom, I think, was with the, I don't know if people are familiar with what happened, what put Napa on the map and Sonoma is, I call it the big boom, was the, the blind tasting with the French yes. in 1976. Yes, there's a movie about that. Yes, yes. it's Shock yes. and our good, dear friend uh, Gustavo Brambilla, mm -hmm. who's a fabulous Chardonnay maker and other, you know, other varietals also, mm -hmm. is um, a good friend of ours, a good friend of ours, and, and he... You know, we introduced the whole concept of Vino Latino USA to him when we first started this. Mm -hmm. And he gave us our, you know, he gave us his blessings and said, I think that's a great idea. But going back to say, you know, people just thought Napa, before even, you know, Napa was even heard of before that, they just felt it was a bunch of redneck hillbillies <laughs> just <laughs> growing a bunch of garage wine. They weren't considered really... Well, well, what happened, actually, there's a, there is a great book, by the way, called Napa. This is where I got most of this information. <laughs> what happened was, so, so before Prohibition, Napa was known as being a world-class wine region. 
And then after Prohibition, all of these companies that just did nothing but make cheap wine, cheap mass-produced yucky wine with no artists and, um, you know, sensibilities, they, they came in and they, they began buying all this vineyard just to make mass-produced wine in Napa and in all of California. So by the time the 70s came, the world now saw California as cheap, crappy wine, basically. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what happened. And then, But then by the, by the mid-70s, 1976 is when the Tasting of Paris came. Well, actually, you have to go back to 1966. Robert Mondavi built the first winery since Prohibition in Napa Valley. The first, mm-hmm. There were some wineries like Schramsberg, Krug, some other wineries, Beringer, that, that were what we would call a ghost winery. Mm-hmm. It was a winery that existed before Prohibition, and then somebody found the runes and resurrected it. And a lot of what you say had a lot of Zinfandel. A lot of Zinfandel, that would be from mostly from the Italian immigrants. We mm-hmm. called it, that was their suitcase wine. They brought mm-hmm. those vines in the suitcase. Mm-hmm. So so then in 1966, Robert Mondavi, who was an Italian, from an Italian family, decided to build his own winery. That was the first winery built. But then that kind of lit a fire. So then now uh, you, you fast forward to 1976, you had um, the winery Stag's Leap that was built. And... Stag's Leap and Chateau Montalena both submitted wines for that famous 1976 Tasting of Paris. It was only French judges. No American judges were invited. It was all blind. And the French ju- judges chose the Chardonnay and, and, um, from Chateau Montalena and the Cabernet from Stag's Leap cellars. And that is the beginning of what really put Napa on the map. Now, during this time, this is now when we see the Latinos really putting their influence because they're the ones working in the vineyards mm-hmm. and and they're all working in the vineyards uh, then they start moving to the cellar so they're, they're helping with the winemaking and there's so many um, Latino vintners today that have this history and knowledge of that time of history in Napa Valleys people like Ronaldo Robledo um, Gustavo Brambilla Mario Bazan, all those men were there here in the in this in this Napa Valley when all this was beginning, and so they really have so much history that I think that the real real doesn't really know or appreciate the the history that and the stories they can share with us. And actually, if you go visit them, they have a lot of short stories to share. Remember that today, in Atenea Americana, we are talking with Ramon and Becky Sandoval from Vino Latino, and that this and all our shows are at StanfordHispanicBroadcasting.org. Thank you for listening. Napa's cab country. Napa is mainly cab. It's all. Napa is, is Cabernet because of economics. Mm-hmm. So it used to be back in the day when, when these guys were doing all this in the 70s, mm-hmm. um, people would plant grapes 
in a certain area of Napa Valley because they said that's the type that would grow the best. So let's say somebody was in South Napa, they'd say, well, the south part of the valley is cooler because it's closer to the ocean, so you should plant Pinot Noir. And then someone would say, oh, Calistoga is really hot. That, that's good for Zinfandel. Oh, Oakville was perfect for Cabernet. Let's plant Cabernet. Well, because Napa Valley Cabernet got such a reputation, you can get probably between four and five times um, per ton for Napa Valley Cabernet grapes than you can for a Zinfandel or any other varietal. Hmm. So now it became the experts will go and say, tell you what clone of Cabernet grows best. Nobody's been asking what variety. It's just what clone <laughs> grows best in this plot of land of Cabernet because everybody hmm. wants Cab. Napa Valley Cabernet starts at about $6,000 a ton and Cab from the Central Valley, which is Highway 5, starts at about $500 a ton just to give wow. you some perspective mm-hmm. of why... Uh, Napa is mostly Cabernet. When you go to Sonoma, you have a bunch of other things such as Pinot and Zinfandel, and mm-hmm. a um, and a lot a lot more, um, you know, variety and the types of wines you're going to get over they there. They need their return on investment, their ROI. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and I heard there also. Um, a Espumante, a cava wine style, and uh, there is also now Riesling they are making Riesling. in the in the valley somewhere. There's a few sparkling wines which they call the. There's you know the uh, you have Mums, you have a uh, Domaine Carneros with a uh, Schramsberg. Schramsberg. And then Riesling, Riesling is something that would be would be made in Napa or Sonoma because that particular vintner likes them a lot. Mm-hmm. Robletos actually make a fabulous dry Riesling. It's not sweet at all, but it is fabulous. So if anybody's going to go to Robletos and they like dry, really juicy wine that will pair great with food, they ought to try that one. And they're in Sonoma. They're in Sonoma. Robletto Mm -hmm. Family Vineyards are good friends of ours also, and they make some fabulous wines. Great. And uh, you have been uh, doing this for a while, being in the wine, well, in the wine environment. You, this is a relatively new a company that you have, but uh, you, you have been for many years in the wine environment. My wife is Becky Boss. <laughs> <laughs> she um, She's a Napa native. Mm-hmm. She's been in the wine industry for about 20 years. I was imported from uh, the, <laughs> the peninsula here. I, li- I was born and raised in San Mateo. Uh, and when I met Becky, I wasn't a big wine drinker. I didn't drink wine at all, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. And that was like six years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, she introduced me to it. And it was like just op- it was another world, you know. I tried wine like say twenty something years ago. Some from Seven Eleven. It was <laughs> you know horrible. A box so, one. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I tried that, and I wasn't in, you know there was no education behind it, and I, it was horrible. I, I just put that in my little memory bank upstairs, and I said. Wine is horrible. <laughs> so I went through life like that. And then my friends would, you know, I'd go to parties or, you know, events. And Ramon, would you like to, you know, come out holding a bottle like a baby? Hey, Ramon, would you like to try this wine? Da, da, da. I say, no, where's your beer? Or where's your, you know, I'll make a, a drink. And then um, when I met my wife, she owns a tour company, Small Lot Wine Tours. Um, and she says, I have access to, you know, to take you out in the valley and introduce you to tasting rooms which was uh, I said sure I want you know I also wanted to you know it was it was a cheap date for me I want I want to conquistar my wife here so I I started to learn about wine doing research and it was just like just the dynamics behind it was just like wow this is this is crazy good and the, the aromas the way you swirl the glass and the you just get all these different feelings of what you smell just wonderful you know and I felt 
you know, this is uh, something I could really enjoy and learn about along with with uh, my wife here. Yeah, all the vinicultura behind it. <laughs> well, I, I think in a, in a way might be an acquired taste that, yeah, it has a little bit with culture and where you grow up. I, uh, we grow up uh, having uh, wine in the weekends uh, with, in family dinners. Uh, and, uh, well, I don't know, a cer certain age, but it definitely wasn't a 21, was before that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, as a company in the meal uh, and, uh, and I never like beer or, yeah. or strong liquor. It's, I don't know, never really enjoy it, but it's something that people learn to like. The uh, more you the, the more you drink, the more you, you, use, you enjoy, you, you acquire more of a taste of, of wine, I think. I right? think yeah. if you look at the great wine regions of the world, you will see that their cuisine pairs well with wine. Also. So you don't, yes. China is not a great wine region of the world because Cabernet and soy sauce aren't, they don't go aren't, aren't really that great. <laughs> If you go to, you know, anywhere in Africa, except for South Africa, but, you know, African cuisine is not really known for pairing well with wine. And Mexican food in particular is not the easiest to pair with wine because of the spicy jalapenos. Yeah. So you make wine hot and spicy. It doesn't pair so nice with red wine. It pairs great with white wine. But then most people say, oh, when I have white wine, I'll just have beer. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why we don't see – that's why certain cultures have an emphasis on – on wine and others don't. I think it really has a lot to, that would be, you know, my, again, my guess, I'm not, an, <laughs> but my, my feeling is that it has to pair well with the food. Yeah, and they, they had natural, they were naturally growing tequila and uh, they, they were taking it from there. Historically, people used to make this alcohol beverage because they didn't, they weren't able to preserve water and they right. got sick if they drink water, so the only way was to sterilize or mm. fertilize whatever. That's totally, fruits. Totally true. That's so why you know, die. yeah. You in, in um, Northern Europe, you had a lot of L's and beers. You know, if, you, if uh, yeah. when I was little, we used to make apple cider with my dad, mm -hmm. and by the end of the day, it was turning into hard cider. Whether without adding anything, fruit, any fruit juice will normally begin to ferment. So, um, so I think every culture has a ferment to drink, like you said, because of the water issues. So, and you mentioned box wine. Do they actually make any good box wine that compares to the bottled one? What is the... I mean, we're totally biased because our passion <laughs> and our, our mission is to is to share with people the beauty and artistry of small production wines. So, I honestly don't ever drink box wine. I, I, I really feel that you get what you pay for in wine. Mm. One of my favorite examples is, you know, we'll do an event and I'll have a $25 bottle of whatever and then a $50 or $60 cab, which for a Napa Valley cab is actually pretty reasonable. <laughs> and people will say, oh, I love this. You know, they'll drink that $50 cab. Oh, I love this. It's so delicious. And I says, yeah, well, it's the $50 cab from Napa Valley. I said, oh. And they get so sad because they said, it's, you know, they, they, they can taste that it was twice as good as a $25 bottle of wine. And I always say, well, aren't you happy, though, that... At least you're getting what you pay for. It'd be pretty sad if you were tasting that $50 wine next to that $25 wine and they tasted the same. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you come to when it comes to wine, I really believe, especially with small producers, you get what you pay for. And that's what I mean. That goes that ties into what we do um, when we do we do vino with amigos, mm -hmm. which is a in-home wine tasting where we bring wines from different vintners. We bring five to six different wines to your home. The comfort of your home, we bring, you know, Northern California, Napa, Sonoma to your home because wine can be intimidating a lot. You know, if you're starting to learn how to drink wine and, and you know, 
it's like, wow, you know, what? there's 500-plus wineries in Napa, and it's like, it's overwhelming. So why not have an in-home first? <laughs> and then, you know, that way you could ask questions in the comfort of your own home. So you could, ask, you know, that's what we do a lot, and it's pretty big. We're going, we go out to Southern California a lot. We, we're actually going out to Texas uh, this coming month uh, for a, a week and a little bit over for a week. week. Yeah. And we're taking the show on the road. So, I mean, and that's what we do is just, like I said, we go to their home and educate them and want them to ask questions about wine. And obviously, too, the whole dynamic behind what we do is that we don't just take one brand. You know, we take five to six different wineries and tell each each bot you know each wine there's a story in the bottle you know so we tell each story of each winemaker and you know which people love you know to connect with that wine with the story this is Atenea Americana and I am your host Isabel Jubes. You may find this and all my shows at stanfordhispanicbroadcasting.org This is a bilingual cultural show bringing you a window to the Latin and Hispanic universe every week for two hours, one in English and one in Spanish, from Stanford to the world. You can also be part of this, leaving me your comments, sharing your thoughts, and even more at stanfordhispanicbroadcasting.org. I invite you to be part of this. And remember that today, we are talking with Ramon and Becky Sandoval from Vino Latino. In Napa and Sonoma, there are a lot of vineyards, they produce grapes, but then uh, when you go inside and take the tour, then you realize or they tell you that not all the wine is made from that vineyard, but they Correct. have vineyards all around. Or then uh, you find some winemakers that they don't have a vineyard at all. They just buy different grapes and they mix them and make their own special flavor. Okay, can you tell me a little bit about that, how, how that works? That is, that's exactly, you, you actually described it exactly right. So that's, we that's always well said. <laughs> yeah, She did good. Yeah, we say just because you have a vineyard doesn't mean you have a winery. And just because you have a winery doesn't mean you own a vineyard. So there's a very beautiful symbiotic relationship between growers and winemakers. So, um, and that's actually how the Robledos got started. Mr. Robledo, he, I don't know that he, it was even his vision to have a winery. He just, he was working for a vineyard management company. So what a vineyard management company is, is they have a portfolio of vineyards. They manage vineyards for people. And he was working for that vineyard management company. Then he decided he'd have his own vineyard management company. And then he decided he'd just go ahead and buy his own vineyards and plant them and sell his grapes to wineries. So he's been growing grapes for, for other people than himself, I think, since the 80s is when he started buying vineyard. So um, so let's say, you know, you, you, you are this guy who loves wine and you're passionate about wine and you really want to make your own wine, but you are broke. You are, you know, you have no money whatsoever. You have enough money to maybe buy some grapes, but definitely not buy land. And you can maybe buy a couple barrels. So you go around and you start talking to vineyards and seeing seeing if you can buy some grapes. When you buy grapes from a vineyard, you actually have a lot of control. You can choose, you have a lot of say, you have not, not exactly, but you can say, you can You can say when you want the grapes picked. You can you can say how you want them farmed. Not not exactly how you want them farmed, but let's say you feel your grapes aren't getting um, aren't getting ripe enough. You can ask that you people tear down some leaves, or you can ask that people drop fruit so you have better quality. So when you contract, you contract usually a portion. 
of the vineyard, and that will be your portion for your block, wine. A, yeah. A small block, a lot. Or it could be a row. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and then just because you, so that's the guy who has the winery, not the vineyard. And then when it comes to the growing, there's a lot of people who want to grow and they don't want to make wine. Mm-hmm. I have a friend. Her um, actually, her her ancestors were Californios. Her name uh, we call her the Contessa of Carneros. Her name is Maureen Palladini, and um, she has a uh, 20 acres in Carneros. She grows Pinot and Chardonnay. Her kids convinced her to start her own label, so she did, and they didn't help her. And it was a lot of work. She says, "You know what?" She goes, I, I don't want to make wine. I just want to grow my grapes, have the winery come, write me a check at harvest, and I'm done. So <laughs> she quit making wine, and all she does is grow. And, and, and so this is a very common practice in Napa. Or then you have the people who, who they have a Cabernet that they're growing in Oakville. You don't want to give up any precious land to grow Chardonnay. Plus, Oakville is not the greatest place to grow Chardonnay because Chardonnay needs cooler climate. So you own your own vineyard in Chardonnay, I mean, in Oakville, and you have your own vineyard. But you would like to have a white wine in your portfolio, so you buy grapes from somebody you know in Carneros. And everybody knows everybody in Napa and Sonoma. So you, you get a good reputation as a vineyard. People know which vineyards are good. Mm. And they, they specialize then in, in their own grape or? The vineyards, the vineyards grow whatever. I mean, I don't know why. I don't know what makes a vineyard. more In Napa, it's more than likely, um, you know, going to be Cabernet. But in the other areas, like if you're in Carneros, you're going to grow Chardonnay or Pinot. And, uh, and I'm sure a lot of it has to do with what the grower likes and what grows well there, and then, of course, supply and demand. And uh, how many wineries are you in contact for your project, Vino Amigo? How many people is kind of in your network? A lot. <laughs> we, we have uh, up to yeah, at least three dozen in our portfolio that we, we work with. Not necessarily just Latino winemakers, but people, you know, we work with a lot of people. Who, uh, everybody supports a lot, the, the, the Latino, you know, due to... Because they're in the fields, they start in the fields. They might be a sell, in the seller, assistant winemaker, a vineyard manager, or you know. So everybody really helps the Latino in 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 the Napa and Sonoma. So we work with many, you know. We work with a lot of wine. We work with a lot. You, you know, it would be so fascinating for you one day to get vineyard workers. They are they. They are fascinating people. They, they, um, some wineries who are lucky enough to have full-time staff for their vineyards, their vineyard workers name the plants. They know, they know every plant. They know every block. They know everything. And, and then you, and then vineyard workers um, can also just look at a plant and tell you what variety it is. If you and I or Ramon, if we're walking and we see red grapes on a vine, I couldn't tell you if it's Cabernet, Merlot, Petit Verdot, Zinfandel, Pinot. They all look exactly the same to me. The leaves are different, yeah. but I don't know. I don't have that memorized. So they're, they're very fascinating people, and their expertise is something that is very much respected in the wine industry. And then, and then a lot of those vineyard workers, you know, like, like Ramon said, work up to the cellar. And the cellar is where the wine is made. And it doesn't take long before, the, I always say they get bit by the wine bug, where they just got to try to make it on their own. And funny enough, we had a blind tasting of some high-end Napa cabs. And Ramon, Ramon, anytime we go to a winery, he will find his amigo. And he'll start, <laughs> you know, talking to the vineyard, the cellar workers. And this one guy said, oh, you know, I'm making my own wine. I'll give you a, a, a sample. And it doesn't have a label. It's just a bottle with no label. And we took it to this blind tasting of what I would say people who really know a lot about wine. I had someone who's a psalm. I had um, some master of wine students. I had a winery owner. And we put his wine in the blind tasting, and it was one of the best wines. 
Just some guy who said, "Ah, we'll just make some wine." You know, they they're working for a very high end winery. They said, "Can we make a little on our own?" They said, "Sure," and it's fabulous. Great with all the learning they had during their yeah. workout. And that's and, and that's, th- that's how we start. That's how I, you know, when we first started Vino Latino USA, um, when we I met Becky, I said, you know, after taking me wine tasting, I didn't. I saw Latinos all in the fields and the back end of things, and then I said, you know. Um, you know, are there Latino winemakers? She goes, yeah, not many, but there are. There's only, you know, a little bit over a dozen. And I said, well, why don't you take me to, you know, visit them? And she did. And, you know, we, it, was, it was just a great experience. And we kind of came up with the whole plan of, you know what, I, I would like to support them with or, uh, you know, I want to start a, you know, small club with Vino Latino USA. <laughs> and, and we club. started a wine club, but we didn't know. It was like, okay, you know what? I started with family and friends. And then I said, you know what? We need more than this. I need to get into their, you know, we need to get straight to the consumer. Mm-hmm. And that's how we, you know, we started doing Vino with Amigos. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what better place than, in, you know, the comfort of their own home. And that's how things just started to, you know, grow, you know, very, very big with with within our company and what one thing we noticed was that Ramon's friends that he went to high school that had become more affluent were coming to Napa all the time and they're Latinos coming to Napa they're gonna buy the high-end wines nickel and nickel opus and our thought our thought was well that's great don't get me wrong but why not buy a Cabernet made by a Latino and support your own people? I always say we always like to support who we have something in common with. You know, my, my joke is that I'm half Serbian, and there's a distillery in Napa, and they're Serbian. And so anytime I go to a bar, if I want to have any vodka, even though it costs more, if they have their vodka, I buy it just because I know I'm supporting Serbians. So our thought, too, was that for the Latinos who are drinking higher-end wines, why not Why not at least have some Latino-made wines in your portfolio? I do think that sometimes our name is misleading to non-Hispanics because they, I think they think like we have taco-flavored wine or something, and that's not the, <laughs> that's not the case. It is beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Artisan-made. Artisan-made, so a lot of passion. Um, and that's what, what our, our, we love about all the vintners we represent is just that wine is a, on a small level is a crazy passion project, and I find it fascinating well, to I think, watch them. Uh, well, I think, uh, you know, the, the, within the Latino culture or, you know, demographically Latinos are growing. Remember that today, in Atenea Americana, we are talking with Ramon and Becky Sandoval from Vino Latino, and that this and all our shows are at StanfordHispanicBroadcasting.org. Thank you for listening. South America, there is a lot yeah. of great wine. Yes. Uh, Argentina, Chile, Correct. growing north, going north every time more. And uh, there is an also a lot of tradition in, in Spain about wine, Portugal, and some in Brazil. So it's, it's uh, not it's not like it's unknown field for Latinos in general. Aren't the French technically Latino? Yes, they are. <laughs> 
that's how it goes. I'm just saying. Actually, uh, actually, it, it, it comes from Latin in Rome, and as I, I, I grow up thinking that we we're all Latinos because we're all the same people. Uh, yeah. Latins, Portuguese, uh, Romans, Italians, and, and Spaniards. It's just when I came to the United States that. I learned that we're not apparently right. <laughs> we are something else. And well, okay, whatever. It's the same for me. <laughs> but yes, they are. Uh, I don't know. You could call it um, Latino Europeans, yeah. right? Because uh, French is a Romance language. Yes, and it's a Latin-based the language. Same, the same genes, the same people. Mm-hmm. Uh, French, Italy, Portugal, all those are. Right. We are the same, and all Romance languages. Yes. Yes. But yes, and then the same traditions when they came with wine, all in the same package. Right. Right. They they definitely Europeans came to. To North America and and Central and South America, and they planted grapes to make wine for themselves. That is <laughs> yes. what they did for sure. Yeah, now it's just bringing more the, the Californians and the Mexicans into the mix. It's happening very yes. slowly, you know. So me and Ramon, or Ramon and I, we I'm at college, so I should use proper English. But um, <laughs> Ramon and I, you know, we're going to Texas next month, and we're going to go to some very high end buyers Mm -hmm. and we're going to have a great time with them and we're going to sell higher end wines but i have to tell you we also did a street fair for union city Mm -hmm. and um i was the the people who came we just had our moscato and we were we were bombarded by a bunch of latinos you know the chola girl with the dark lipstick and she's got her t-shirt tied up here and her (laughs) tight jeans with her you know whether they were this called the converse you know and then she's got her boyfriend that has the tattoos on his neck and and you know what they love the moscato and so i really believe they were buying their they were buying buying tons of moscatoes they're probably not ready for a cab but that's what i that's what our vision too is we wanted to meet people where they were at in their wine journey Mm -hmm. and i got to tell you when that day when i left i looked at ramon i said remember these were the people we got we started this for because they want to like wine they love wine they want to know more about wine but you know what they probably feel very intimidated to go to a lot of the tasting rooms so we 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 love that's the that's the generation though that's the that's the latinos that not just the cholas and the cholos or whatever but just, you know but All that's that, but those are the ones that the most latinos are, are are baby wine drinkers and they're drinking they're, we have a hard enough time saying stop drinking box wine and buy our moscato <laughs> don't, don't so you can't expect them to go and buy an 80 dollar cabernet and, but but that's what's fabulous about our concept is that we you know we're we're, we're bridging that gap within the wine industry you know uh, the wine industry's had a tough time in in you know uh, i guess you know what's They've had communicating a hard time. with the with the ever growing Latino community, you know, uh, demographically, you know, the Latino growing. So they're having a tough time, kind of, you know, bridging can, that gap. And I can tell you why. So there is this. Is it the Wine Symposium, or the Wine Institute? Mm-hmm. I hope they don't hear me talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> so I look, and they were going to have their one year. The whole symposium or whatever it was was to be dedicated to how do we reach the Latino consumer. Mm-hmm. So I looked at their program. Um, the wines they were being poured, not one Latino vintner was invited. Oh. The experts to come and talk to them about about Latino um, about Latino consumer, one was Russian and the other were white. <laughs> so I reached out to them and I said, you know, if you'd like, if you have some VIPs, Vino Latino is happy to maybe pour some wine. They said, oh no, we're good, we're fully, we're full, we got everybody thing planned. I said, oh, I said. I thought it was just really funny that you're having a whole three-day symposium on how to reach a Latino consumer and you don't have one Latino 
talking, <laughs> pouring wine. And, and she wrote back, she said, point taken. And that is why the wine industry is not reaching the Latino consumer. Because if you're going to go hire someone who's Russian to come yeah. tell you about Latinos, you might have a problem. <laughs> so I am, I'm white. I'm half Serbian and half hillbilly. But my husband's Mexican. So, I mean, I, <laughs> we, are, we, are, we are trying to bridge that gap. We're, and we're not... We, we're happy at all levels. We, we love the guy with the tattoos on his neck, and we also love the guy in, in a tie. We like them all. <laughs> and uh, tell me, um, cork, uh, real cork, synthetic corn, uh, turn uh, tap? Oh, the screw tap? <laughs> screw the screw tap. top? Yeah. Uh, you know what? Why, you know, we, we've had a uh, – we've talked about this, you know, before, too. I mean, to me, you know, screw, screw, the screw, t uh, screw cap is, you know, it, it's, it's come a long way. Within you know it, the technologies, you know, made it to where it's not. But you lose the romance with the cork. You have a cork. There's a romance behind it. The whole yeah. twisting the cat, really you know, the, the cork. <laughs> and the synthetic ones are horrible to get out. So I was reading your bio, and I know you're very concerned about everything being green. And mm -hmm. corks are actually very green. Mm -hmm. So there was this whole big push where people were trying to say that if you just that by using corks we were damaging the cork forest in Portugal and that's actually completely untrue the fact of the matter is is that the cork industry is what keeps those forests alive you don't cut it's down a tree to to obtain the cork the cork is the bark and you just peel oops oh, sorry you just peel the 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 bark off i think it has to grow like for 10 years before you can harvest it i mean mm -hmm. so those cork trees are very very old so please don't feel bad. Buy wine that has cork, and you do not need to try to figure out a way to reuse that cork for bottles because by keeping and buying um, cork as a renewable source, you really are preserving those beautiful cork forests in Portugal. Yeah, and they're they're beautiful and mm -hmm. they're they're majestic. <laughs> and and then screw cap, um, a, screw cap is probably a great way to go. But in my opinion, stay away from the synthetic corks. They they're just really hard to get out. So what are what are your plans now for the future? How are you going to grow, if any? Keep drinking wine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny. I was um, there's a, a young lady named Cecilia Enriquez, another Latina winemaker, and I took some guests to go visit her, and they had the same question. And I I think sometimes in the wine industry we don't we're this is such a, such a funny business. We don't have this five-year plan. We, you know, my plan is to be bigger in five years than I, not fatter, but to be <laughs> more successful in five years than I am now. I don't have numbers or anything. Mm -hmm. I, I would love to see us being able to do the Vino with Amigos all across the United States. Mm -hmm. We have two sons in Nashville right now, and they want to do it. We would, we would love to see our wine club grow. It's very small, and that would really be helpful. So we would just love to be busy all the time. Well, uh, and you go to big festivals uh, also, or not so much because house. we because when you go to a big festival, you don't get paid and and you don't make a lot of money. The the thing I did at the Union City Street Fair, just so everybody hears this, I don't want to do your street fair. <laughs> Unions. It was because we have a soft spot for Union City. We've worked with them on some other things and. And actually, people bought the wine. It turned out very successful for us. Um, we mostly do we do some corporate events. Google has hired us, Cisco, Charles Schwab. Um, and for them, we just work out a deal. And uh, But mostly, our main focus is direct-to-consumer. We would much Thank rather be with a small group for listening to Atenea Americana, your house of culture in the radio and online. In this bilingual show, I bring you every week one hour in English and one hour in Spanish, opening a window to the cultural Hispanic world.
you can hear in the intro and at the final of the show, as well as right now, music from the legend of Latin jazz, Oscar Hernandez. This and all my shows are in stanfordhispanicbroadcasting.org, where I wait for your comments. I invite you to be part of this. And remember that today, in Atenea Americana, we are talking with Ramon and Becky Sandoval from Vino Latino. You are not just bringing other people wine, but I saw that now you produce your first Moscato, your Dulce white wine. Yes, I mean, that 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 fell... It was <laughs> a little funny story, because we we've done over 150, you know, 100, we're probably up to 200-plus now parties mm -hmm. these in-home wine you know the vino with amigos but um everywhere we'd go to they always and there's there would always be someone hey do you have a sweet wine ramon becky do you guys have a sweet wine or riesling or a muscat i went back to all my winemaker friends i go you guys want a cash cow people are still want a muscato and the mm -hmm. and the winemakers are gonna go oh no ramon no we're cab makers we're merlot Pinot, some you know, Syrah, Zin. No, we're not going to make a Moscato. Or, or if they're going to make a sweet wine, they want to do what's called a late harvest, which, which comes, is expensive, which though. is super expensive, and it's like forty bucks for a half bottle. Yeah. So yeah, so I looked at you know, my go to my wife, honey. You know what? Let's make one ourselves. They yeah. said, and she, obviously she 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 was very supportive in the whole. The whole process. So we came out with the, and it didn't affect our lineup with all the other wines that we feature. So, yeah, we weren't competing against the yeah. wineries we're representing because they weren't making a Moscato. <laughs> so yeah, so we came out, and it's one of our. It's I'll be honest, it's one of the best selling wines when we go to someone's home. They love the yeah. nice, chilled, sweet. It's not that syrupy, sweet Moscato that you taste normally, but it's it's very well balanced. And we also really made that wine. For the Latino consumer. So it has a Dia de las Muertas theme yes. on the label. Yes. We had a, uh, a Latino designer. We have a Latino winemaker, Cesar Toski. So we we said, you know, a lot of these Latino, I don't blame them, these Latino winemakers in Napa and Sonoma want to be taken seriously. And they want to compete with the non-Latino wines. But, but yet they want the Latino consumer. But you have to then you need to you need to do something for them. So Ramon and I said, you know what? Let's make that Moscato, and I want it to be a bottle that when a Latino sees that bottle, they're like, oh, that was made for me. And I cannot tell you how many times people say, oh, this looks like something from my people, or you know, this is this is you know, they they really can see that. Oh, it really was for the Latino culture that that we made that. Mm. Um, and of course, if you're, I mean, everybody likes it because it's Moscato. So it doesn't matter what nationality you are. But there's plenty of Moscatos being made that don't have any Latin flair on the label. And we just really wanted we really wanted to get that message across. And, and yes. I feel like we have. Yeah. Yes, and there is some sort of wine that you can open for everybody, every kind of guest, even if they like or they don't like much wine or they like it but they don't feel like mm -hmm. or any time of the day is, I always tell, and there are some sort of wine that I always say, it's almost like taking a grape juice. Just totally. A little bit, you, you, you won't even notice and yeah. you finish the bottle like, wow. Yeah. I <laughs> It can be yeah. dangerous that way. Yeah, but yes. I know. And ours is ours is much uh, as Ramon said, not not too sweet. So it's it's definitely um, very refreshing. Great. Flip flops in a pool. <laughs> Good. And how long have you been making this? What two years? It was uh, what came yeah, out two did, years. We just did it. One, we still just did one vintage. We're just we'll, about out. We only have like less than twenty cases left. Oh. So we're gonna have to go back to the drawing board and, and talk to we'll, Cesar Tosi. Yeah. Then we'll revisit doing it again. We just it was just an experiment. Yeah, um, this is a 2013, I think. Yes. Yeah. 
cool. So we'll see. We'll see what the future holds. It was an experiment, and we need to talk about what we plan on on doing with with the the label. But oh. we wanted to see what would happen if we produced something that said, you know, to the the growing wine consumer, the growing Latino wine consumer. Hey, we heard what you liked, and we we listened, and and so far it's been very very positive. Great. The next one is also going to be a Moscato. You oh think, yeah, or? we would do a Moscato, yeah. and then we have some ideas for some blends, some red blends and some stuff. We already have the labels. It's just a matter of of growing money. and money. No. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> you know we're we're a small company and we pay as we go. We don't want a lot of debt, so we just it's just a matter of of seeing where we're at. So we, I think we'll get there. I think you might see a whole line of Vino Esvita. Great. Well, congratulations, and I I really wish uh, a lot of success in all your future endeavors, and I hope thank to you. have you back with all your new plans and new. Well, thank you. For well, we hope yeah. to have you up and visiting us. Oh. Yes, you got to come out. We'll, <laughs> yeah. we'll definitely go out and research. Yes, <laughs> and uh, I would love to start a series of shows about about winemakers. We could, yeah, I think yes. you could have some very fascinating shows. Yes, yes great. Well, thank you for coming. Yes, no, thank, thank you. you for having us. And this was Atenea Americana. Atenea Americana. Stanford, 90.1 FM. Atenea Americana. A window to the Latin universe. This is Atenea Americana. Bilingual house of culture. On the air and online. Su casa de la cultura en la radio y online. Para radio 90.1 KCSU Stanford. I am Isabel Juves. Isabel Juves. Vuelve pronto. Atenea Americana. From Stanford to the world. Remember to come back soon. Ciao. See you later. 